This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2015. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. of Nehemiah. So if you go to Psalms, work backwards. Psalms, Job, Esther, Nehemiah. Uh, you'll find it in there handily enough. And turn to chapter 4. So Nehemiah chapter 4. But it so happened when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall that he was furious and very indignant and he mocked the Jews. And he spoke, spoke before his brethren in the army of Samaria and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burned? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was beside himself, and he said, Whatever they build, if even a fox goes up on it, it will break down their stone wall. Hear, O God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach on their, on their own heads and give them as plunder to a land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity and do not let their sin be blotted out from before you, for they have provoked you to anger before the builders. So he built the wall. And the entire wall was joined up together up to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. It happened when Sambalat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed, that they became very angry. And all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God. And because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. Then Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing, and there is so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. And our adversaries said, they will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. And so it was when the Jews who dwelt near came, then came, that they told us ten times, from whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. Therefore I position men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings, and I set the people according to their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the leaders and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, and your daughters, your wives, and your houses. And it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us that God had brought their plot to nothing, that all of us returned to the wall, every one to his work. And so it was from that time on that half of my servants worked at the construction while the other half held the spears, the shields, the bows, and wore armor, and the leaders were behind all the house of Judah. Those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction and with the other held a weapon. And every one of the builders had his sword girded at his side as he built. And the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. 
And I said to the nobles, the rulers, and the rest of the people, the work, is a great and ex the work is great and extensive, and we are separated far from one another on the wall. Whenever you, whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. So we labored in the work, and half of the men held the spears from daybreak until the stars appeared. And at the same time, I also said to the people, let each man and his servant stay at night in Jerusalem, that they may be our guard by night and a work party by day. So neither I, my brethren, my servants, nor the men of the guard who fought Followed me, took off our clothes, except that everyone took them off for washing. I want to share with you tonight just some thoughts from that particular chapter that we read together. I'll just pick out a few uh, individual verses. What would you say today is the greatest killer in the world? Starvation, malnutrition, cancer. Malaria, typhoid, heart disease. Certainly all of these things and more kill millions worldwide. Yet the most those things can do is kill the body. That's all they can do. However, there is something that's worse and it is a killer also. And it can kill your hopes and your dreams, your desires, your vision, your joy, your peace of mind. It afflicts everyone everywhere. Even Christians can suffer from it. It can strike at the most unexpected moments, dashing your hopes, fueling your fears, crushing your spirit. I'm talking about discouragement. The subject tonight is what are the causes and what is the cure for discouragement. Let me bring you up to date with this story in Nehemiah. Nehemiah was the cupbearer to Artaxerxes Longimus, who was the king of Persia. Persia is modern-day Iran. And about 150 years prior to where we have just been reading, the Babylonians came in and they sacked Jerusalem and they burned it with fire and they pulled down the walls and they burnt the gates and destroyed the temple. Many, many thousands, hundreds of thousands were taken into captivity. And now the Babylonians are gone, the Persians are in control, and many of them are still in captivity, although some have returned. About 50 years prior to this, uh, Ezra uh, took back 50,000 as a remnant to help to rebuild Jerusalem and the temple there. And he did a good job, but he never actually got to finish off the walls and the gates of Jerusalem. There was so much opposition. It took 20 years even to do the temple bit alone, because as such was the pressure and the stresses of the opposition against anybody that's going to do anything for God's kingdom or do anything in God's will is going to be opposed. You can absolutely guarantee that the enemy of our souls will not like it. And these people were certainly being opposed. Now, Nehemiah's brother had been visiting back in Judah. He'd just come back from Jerusalem, and he told Nehemiah about the state that it was in, that the walls were still crashed, they were burnt, they were just rubbish. And whenever he heard that, it really burdened his heart really burdened his heart. 
Now, this man was the cupbearer to the king of Persia. And by that, I mean not just that he was a butler, a servant. He had a very highly important job. He was the official taster, the wine taster, the food taster for the king of Persia. The kings in those days, the despots, were paranoid about their security. And so each of them had somebody who would taste their food. Even Hitler had that during the last war at one point. And so that was his job. That was the downside of the job. The upside was you were in a very privileged position. You were among the courtiers of the king's palace. So therefore, several times a day, you'd be very, very close to the king himself. And the king wouldn't just have anybody in that position. You would need to be articulate. You need to be intelligent. You need to have a certain standing and bearing physically. You need to look good. You need to be good. And Nehemiah fitted that bill perfectly. Even though he was a slave in a sense, even though he was a captive, but yet God had elevated him to this prime position. And here he is living here for many, many years doing this very important job with all the opulence and all the finery that the palace could afford. But when he hears directly about the state of Jerusalem, his heart is greatly burdened. And he begins to pray and fast about the situation. He felt immediately, I need to do something about this. I cannot just let this continue. Something has got to be done. And so he starts to pray and fast. Now he got this news about the, gives you the monster, about the autumn time of the year. And it was about the springtime before he actually made a move. So during that four-month period, he prayed and he fasted, and he sought the Lord, what can I do? Give me a plan, a strategy, for I need to do something. And God gave him a plan and a strategy. And so one day, he was again before the king, and the king noticed he had a big sad face. Not a good thing to have a sad face around the kings in those days. And the king looked at him and said, What's wrong with you? I know that you're not physically ill. This is nothing more than sorrow of heart. Your heart's sore. Why is that? And so here he is, and it says, if we didn't read those chapters before, he was greatly afraid. Very nervous about this because to be sad with a big long face like a lurking spade around the king of Persia was not good. Your job would be at stake, if not your whole life at stake. And so... He said something that was very, very clever. I mean, what, what would the king of Persia care about Jerusalem and its walls and burnt and all that? What would he care about that? And so he turned around to him and he says, yes, I'm very sad. Because Jerusalem, the place of my father's tombs, has fallen down. And by saying that, he touched a raw nerve. Because even that old wicked king had some kind of feeling and he could think about his father's tombs too. And so that touched this man's heart. And the king turned around and said to him, what can I do for you? How can I help you? And then he prayed a very fast prayer. Probably went, Lord, help me. <laughs> Give me wisdom. And then he says, well... I want to go back and build up these walls. Well, how long is that going to take? And when will you go? When will you come back? And he must have told him. We don't know, but he must have told him that. And the king said, okay. And then he says, but 
I need some letters from you to give me safe passage together because this was hundreds of miles away where he needed to be, three different countries. I need safe passage. So if you write me a letter that I can get safe passage. And oh, by the way, uh, Asaph, who is the, 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 the one who looks after the king's forests, I'm going to need some wood, some timber to build up these gates. And if you can give me a letter for him so that he can give me all the things that I need. And the king says, okay. And he gave me his letters. And off he went. And so when he got there, first thing he did was he waited to nightfall, and then he had a little racket, a little scouting thing around the city, in the quiet, in the dark, not to cause a whole fuss. He didn't want to stir up anything at this point. He wanted to know what he needed to do. And so he went around all what was the gates of what used to be the city gates and so forth to see exactly what needed to be done. And then, and then he began to, uh, to encourage the people of Judah to rise up and to help him build for God. And he did that. And people began to rise up. Uh, priests and people and everything began to rise up to say, yeah, we'll get behind you. We'll, we'll build this. We'll do this for God. But of course, once they did that, then opposition began to rise up, and we saw a little bit of that there. And so you had uh, Sambalat, who was ahead of the Samaritans. They were in the north. Uh, and then to the, uh, to the east, you had Tobiah and the Ammonites. And then to the south, you had Geshem, or Gashmu sometimes he's called, and he was of the Arabs. And then to the west, you had the Ashdodites, or the Philistines. So they're surrounded by four powerful enemies who did not want Jerusalem to get back to what it used to be. They were happy that the Jews would be put down and stay down. But here's a man coming to build up these walls and to do something for the kingdom of God. And once you decide to do anything for God's kingdom or be anything from God's kingdom, you can be sure there'll be some opposition will arise up against you in your life to one degree or the other. So what are the reasons for discouragement? Because as we read through this chapter, you'll find that the people, the workers, the ones who were doing the job got discouraged, really discouraged, to the point where they felt they could not go on building this wall. So what were the causes of discouragement? Because Sometimes any of us could be in the position where you find it just hard to go on doing what you're supposed to do, being what you're supposed to be. You get discouraged. Stuff in life happens to discourage us. So what happens? First of all, being made to feel that what you're doing is worthless. To made to feel that what you're doing is worthless. So it happened when Symbolic heard that we were rebuilding the wall. He was furious, very indignant, and he mocked the Jews. Isn't it interesting, the Jews today are still being mocked? Huh. If ever a group of people on earth has been mocked relentlessly, generation after generation, it's been the Jews and the Christian church. Two most mocked people on earth today are the Jews and the Christian church. Isn't that so? And that increases. And he spoke before his brethren, the army of Sumeria, and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? And so there was a, a mocking tone, 
a put down. What are these feeble Jews doing? I mean, they're feeble, they're weak. These are weaklings. What could they ever do? What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Do they think that by offering sacrifices that this is going to help them get this done? It's going to make them stronger? Do they even think they're going to do this in a day? So here's a kind of sarcasm is coming through. Well, they never thought they were going to do it in a day anyway. By the way, they did it in 52 days, which was really, really, really fast. But they didn't think they were going to do it in a day anyway. But this is a put down. This is sarcasm. This is doing everything they can to discourage them from even starting getting this work started here. Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish stones that are burned? You know, there was lots of burnt limestones all over the place and they had to go through them all and pick the best out of them to start to rebuild no easy job dirty job hard job laboring job are they going to bother to do this and Tobiah the Ammonite was beside himself and he said whatever they build even if a fox goes up on it he will break down their stone wall in other words, what you're doing is worthless, it's useless, it won't amount to hell of beans, you're wasting your time, why bother? We're laughing at you, the world's laughing at you, you're fools for doing this. Whenever the enemy of our souls mocks or disparages or laughs at us, you can be sure we're doing the right thing for the idea is to discourage us and to get us to quit or not even to start in the first place. And so, being made to feel that what you're doing is worthless, it's not worthwhile. Why bother? Why spend your energy and your time and your money and your prayers? Why bother? It's useless. Won't amount to anything anyway. That can discourage you. You know, one famous missionary one time, when he was just a young man, and he was desperate to go to the mission field, there was a time in the church when they didn't believe in sending out missionaries because <coughs> they believed God was sovereign and if he wanted people to be saved, well, he'd just get them saved. And so he shouted at him. He says, young man, if God wants to save those people out there, he'll save them. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. Sit down. That was his attitude towards the young man. But the young man didn't sit down. And the young man didn't give up. And the young man became a great missionary in spite of all that. You'd be surprised who would try to discourage you if you're doing something for the kingdom of God. And then tiredness. Verse 10, then Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing. Uh, you can see there they've been working really, really, really hard. Night and day. As well as working, laboring, they were also guarding and prepared to fight at the same time. A spear in one hand and a trowel in the other hand. That's hard. And they just got to the place where they were just tired 
physically drained, emotionally drained, just plain tired. Discouragement can set in so easily if you're absolutely physically and emotionally drained. It's hard to keep motivated when you feel that way, isn't it? And sometimes you just need your body to rest. Sometimes you just need physical rest. A sleep. A wee break, as we would say. Jesus himself said to the disciples, come you apart and rest a while. Because he recognized that they needed rest. Somebody said, and I forget who it was, but somebody says, if you don't come apart, you'll come apart. And there's moments when you need that rest. You just need that little bit of time. When did the tiredness set in here? Verse 6 tells us, So we built the wall, and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height. For the people had a mind to work. When they're halfway through the job, they were really, really tired. They knew that they had as much to do again as they had just done. And the thought of it really was tiring. Now, I love sports at school. When I was at school, I loved sports. But the one sport I hated was cross-country running. And the reason why is I just didn't have long stamina. I didn't mind sprinting. I didn't mind basketball. I didn't mind football. I didn't mind cricket. I didn't mind any of those things. But that long run cross-country... And we had done it so many times. And you got to a certain place when you're really, really tired and you knew you had to run all the way back again, but you're really exhausted. <laughs> I was generally, me and another fellow were generally about last in. Confession time. <laughs> Not good at the running. They had worked really, really hard, but they still only had half the wall built. The initial enthusiasm had gone. The excitement was waning. Now it was a bit of a drudgery to get this done. Have you ever been there? You start off doing something and it's exciting and you're enthused and you're up for it. But give it a week, give it a month, give it a year, give it 10 years, 20 years, and sometimes the enthusiasm can wane. That's why the Bible says, revive thy work in the midst of the years, O Lord. Because we're human. And something you're keeping at, and you're doing, and you're at it, and you're doing, and you're at it, and you're doing, there comes a point sometimes you just get physically tired. It's not so much that you're tired of the work, but you get tired in the work sometimes. And so Nehemiah had to keep motivating because he could see the tiredness had set in. And the enemies were still around. And the discouragement was building up. And then there was frustration. 
Verse 10, then Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing, and there is so much rubbish. <laughs> Sometimes our lives get cluttered up with unimportant things. We can so easily fill our lives with stuff that doesn't really matter at the end of the day. Isn't that so? Unproductive things, unnecessary things, things that zap our energy, time wasters. In the end, we forget the vital things, the things that really, really count. That's why Paul said, this one thing I do. Now, the apostle Paul, you can be sure, was an exceptionally busy man. He had many things he was doing. So he's not just saying, I'm just doing one thing. This one thing I do, he doesn't mean that. He means in the midst of all of the things I'm doing, there's one thing that's the most important, it's the most vital thing, and everything is subject to this one thing. <laughs> I press towards the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. He had a focus, he had a goal, he had a desire, and everything else was going to fall into line in that. And if it didn't fit that, he didn't do it. Feeling of frustration. In Hebrews chapter 12, Therefore, verse 1, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Did you see that? Consider him, lest you become wearied and discouraged in your very souls. Frustration can cause you to get so discouraged. So many things, this one thing I do, get our focus right, get our priorities right, and cut out some of the stuff that zaps the very life out of us. And then there's a feeling of failure. Verse 10, and there is so much rubbish that we are not able to build. Opposition, ridicule, tiredness, frustration, rubbish. Boy, this is a tough assignment, isn't it? Why do you think Paul said to Timothy, endure hardness as a good soldier? Because the Christian life is not a walk in the park. If we're truly going to live for the Lord and we're going to fulfill all that he wants us to do and all he wants us to be, there's going to be times when we're apt to be discouraged. Times of hardness. Endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus 
Christ, Paul said to Timothy. We can win. We can do this. We can overcome. We can overcome all opposition, and we can do it all for God's glory. Paul said, even though I am knocked down, I am not knocked out. (laughs) That's good, isn't it? Some of us sometimes gets knocked down with life. Stuff happens. Knocks you for six, but we're not knocked out. And these people were at the place of being knocked down, almost knocked out. We cannot finish the job. That's what they're saying to Nehemiah. We're tired. We're weary. And we have still a long way to go. Feeling of failure. We are not able to build the wall. Nothing can discourage you more than those kinds of feelings. I can't do this. (laughs) Yes, you can. And yes, you will. With God's help, with God's grace. Yes, it can be tiring. (laughs) Yes, sometimes you shake your head and say, Lord, how how long have I to keep at this? But you do and you will and you'll build the wall. And then fear. You remember how they're surrounded on all sides by the enemy? Verse 11 and 12, And our adversaries said they will neither know nor see anything till they come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. So it was when the Jews who dwelt them came near that they told us ten times from whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. Over and over and over and over and over again, they were told, we're going to kill you. You have no chance. We have you in our sights. Fear began to grip them. You remember how Moses sent out those 12 spies to spy out the land? And he says, I want you to check the land. Let's see, are there walled cities? Let's see what their strengths are like. Let's see how the land lies. Let's see what kind of vegetation is there. Let's spy it out well and come back. You remember how the 12 spies went out, lists all their names, and how they went out, and how they saw those great grapes where one bunch it took two men with a pole to carry one bunch of grapes. And all the fruit of the land was there. Truly was a land flowing with milk and honey. But then they saw these walled cities. They saw the children of Anak, the giants in the land. And fear began to grip their hearts. God had already told them the land was theirs. But when they came back, didn't they give an evil report, the Bible says? Yes, they came back with the grapes. But they said, you want to see the size of the giants? <laughs> Were like grasshoppers in their sight. In fact, that's what we look like to them. And they were really afraid. And that fear began to spread around the camp. And Joshua and Caleb 
two of the spies stood up in the midst of it because they could see that fear. Fear spreads. It's contagious, isn't it? They could see that spreading, and they stood up, and they says, we are able to take this. God has given us this land. We can do this. But the people weren't having it. Sure they weren't. <laughs> and for the next 40 years, they wandered around the wilderness. It could have been so different, but they wandered around the wilderness until all of those unbelievers died off. And a new generation was born. And Joshua and Caleb became those leaders. Everybody gets so discouraged because they listened to the wrong report. They listened to the ten instead of listening to the two. People tend to listen to the majority, don't they? If the majority says something, it must be right. No, most times it's wrong, not right. What is the majority saying today? Is it right? No, it's wrong. Terribly wrong. How few voices are saying what's right and are listened to today. And so fear can discourage many. But how do we overcome discouragement? We see some of the things that cause it, but how do we overcome it? Well, first thing, we need to make some changes. Verse 13, the first part of it. Therefore, I position men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings. Nehemiah made some strategic, strategic changes to the routine. The routine had worked so far, but it wasn't working anymore. So he made some strategic changes to the routine, and they didn't retire, they refired. They didn't give up and they didn't quit. It felt like it, looked like they were going to, but they didn't. Changes had to be made. And so Nehemiah made some changes. And sometimes we're the same. We have to make some adjustments to our schedules, to our priorities, to how we do some things. We have to make some changes. There mightn't be big changes, but changes nonetheless. These weren't massive changes. They were still on the wall. They were still having to build. But he shuffled them around a little bit. Made some adjustments to their schedules. And they get a new lease of life. And sometimes we have to do that. Second part of that verse 13 says, And I set the people according to their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. We need the friendship, and we need the help, and we need the encouragement of others around us, don't we? One of the most discouraging things is if you think you're completely and utterly on your own and nobody cares, that's discouraging. For the people around you encourage you and come alongside to help, suddenly you find new strength, don't you? The Apostle Paul was very, very aware 
that he could not do what he was doing without the help of others. At the end of Romans, the last chapter of Romans, he lists 35 individual people, names them individually, 35 names. You can count them. Plus, he would mention so-and-so and their family. So there's even more than 35, but he listed and named 35 people who helped him in ministry, people that he helped, or people that helped him, people that came alongside, people that caused him to be able to do what he was doing for the kingdom of God. And he was blessed by that, and he remembered that. And when he wrote to the church at Rome, he reminded them, you helped me, you helped me, you helped me, you helped me. little verse in Ecclesiastes. I'll just read this. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 to 12. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. And if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. A threefold cord is not easily broken. Jesus sent out 70, didn't he? But he chose 12. And out of the 12, he had three, Peter, James, and John. And Peter, James, and John, that threefold cord... At the most intimate moments of his life, that was the three he called on to be by his side. In the Garden of Gethsemane, even though they slept, it was those three he called to his side to keep watch. At his lowest moment, humanly, they were there. At that great high moment on the Mount of Transfiguration, who was the three? Peter, James, and John. Read the Gospels, you'll see. At important times, he had those three. Then there was Paul and Barnabas for a time. What a great duo they were. And then it was Paul and Silas. It was even a greater duo. And for a while, Luke, Dr. Luke was Paul's companion too. And so we need the encouragement, we need the help of others around to lift us and encourage us, particularly when the going's tough, isn't it? Isn't it great if you're going through something and somebody just gives you a word of encouragement? Somebody just comes alongside and says, by the way, praying about you yesterday, thinking about you, by the way, you're doing a great job. I mean, that just helps, doesn't it? It just lifts you that little bit. And we all need that, don't we? We're human, and we need encouragement. And so he made some changes, and he set the people according to their families. Then the second thing, look to the Lord. Now, that may seem obvious, but when you're discouraged, it's not so obvious. We tend to look at everything else except the Lord, don't we? We look at the circumstances. We look at the trouble. We look at the shortage. We look at this, that, and the other. We look around 
but we forget to look up. Verse 14, And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome. <laughs> yes, the sea were surrounded by the enemy. Yes, I hear what Symbolic and Tobias saying. I see all of that. I hear all of that. And so do you. And we look at that. But we forget to look up at the great and awesome Lord. So what he was doing was getting their eyes off the problems and onto the solution. Getting their eyes off the trouble and onto the blessing of the Lord. Getting their eyes off that situation they were in that looked bleak and tough and saying, Lord God, you are on our side. We're going to look to you today. So he said, remember the Lord, great and awesome. John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, which you're very familiar with, he also wrote another great hymn, and here are just two of the verses. Begone unbelief, my Savior is near, and for my relief will surely appear. By prayer let me wrestle, and he will perform with Christ in the vessel. I can smile at the storm. His love and time past forbids me to think he'll leave me at last in trouble to sink. With each Ebenezer I raise in review confirms his good pleasure to help me quite through. <laughs> There's a man went through some stuff. But he got encouraged when he got his eyes on the Lord. Look to the Lord. Remember the Lord, great and awesome. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will be with you even unto the end. <laughs> Paul says in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so, look to the Lord, make some changes, and finally resist your discouragement. The last part of that verse 14 says, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. Fight for your brethren. Resist. But I'm tired. Keep resisting but I don't know if I can keep going on. Keep resisting. He knew the work was only half done. He knew it wasn't finished. <laughs> but he was going to make sure it got finished. So he says, we're going to have to resist somewhat. What does James say? Submit yourself unto God. Resist the devil. And he will flee from you. How did Jesus resist the devil and the temptations? How did he do that? Through the word. How do we do it? Through the word. Resist him through the word of God. That's how Jesus did it. Submit to God and resist the devil. In 2 Corinthians 10, we'll close with this. Verse 3, for though we walk in the flesh, 
We do not war according to the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of of Christ. That's the tough part, isn't it? Every thought that wants to rule our lives, that wants to run riot in our thinking, that wants to discourage us, that wants to frighten us, to be able to bring that into subjection to Christ. Being able to say that's what the Word says. That's what the Scriptures say. That's what God says. Not what the devil's saying, not what the circumstances, that's what God's saying. That's bringing every thought into captivity. Rather than your thoughts taking you into captivity, we bring our thoughts, those thoughts, into captivity in Christ. Amen? And so they built the wall. 52 days, and it was complete. Did those ones attack? No. How did they feel about the wall being built? (laughs) They were furious. (laughs) But it was done. And they couldn't do a thing about it. They haven't time to read, but later on, they tried to get them to come down from building the wall. Come down to talk to us in the valley of Ono. (laughs) And Nehemiah says, no, I'm doing a great work. I cannot come down. Why should I stop this great work? And he kept at it and at it and at it until the wall was built. We're not exactly sure how long Nehemiah stayed and did the work and get the job done. We know the wall was built in 52 days, but there was other stuff to do. Some commentators believe he was at least 12 years. But the job that he went to do, he got done for the glory of God. Amen? So are you discouraged tonight? Have you been feeling discouraged? Well, let me encourage you. God knows exactly where you are, exactly what you're going through, exactly what has happened. He knows every tomorrow that you'll have to face. Do not give up. Do not quit. Keep building your wall. You'll get the job done. You'll get it finished with God's help and with the grace of God. You'll get the thing done to the glory of God. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you tonight that you are with your people. And Lord, you do lift us up and encourage us because we need it. Sometimes our strength seems to fail us. But Lord, in those times, we can look to you, the great and awesome Lord. We see what you went through, but for the joy that was set before you, you endured all of that to complete the job. So Lord, I pray encouragement over every life in this room tonight. Pray, Lord, where people are down, that you lift them up, that we're afraid, Lord, that you'll cause their faith to rise. Lord, where they're losing hope, Lord, that you'll give them new hope. 
Lord, where they're feeling tired and weary, Lord, that you'll give them new strength for the day. Lord, bless. Meet every need that they have. Let them see that you are the true and mighty God. And Lord, that nothing shall defeat them in the name of Jesus. Lord, bless and strengthen. Give them energy and life. Lord, spiritually lift them up. Physically, Lord, strengthen them. Lord, emotionally encourage them. And Lord, let this week be a great week. Let tomorrow be a great day. Lord, we thank you that you're ready in our tomorrow. You're there waiting on us, arriving. So Lord, we give you thanks for that tonight. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. You can also watch the Sermon of the Month video at youtube.com forward slash Moira Pentecostal or download the sermon video through our iTunes video podcast. For more information, visit us at www.mpc.org.uk. Thank you.